0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at HopeChurchOnline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. On August the 16th, 2009, one of the most celebrated world records was broken. If you don't remember it, watch this short video. Away first time. Good start from from Bolt. Bolt leaving a moment and going away. Gay trying to go with him, and he's being dragged through to second place. But he's going to win it by two meters. 9.58. The world record's gone. That's more like it. Sub-9-6, and surely there's more to come from Bolt yet. Now, how many of you remember what happened on October 16th, right? Usain Bolt set the world record for the 100-meter dash. Now, if you're not a sprinter like... I'm not a sprinter. Uh, Maybe the 100-meter dash doesn't quite resonate with you. To give you an idea, that's a little longer than the length of a football field that he ran in 9.58 seconds. If I started on one goal line in 9.58 seconds, I might be at about the 10-yard line. Not the furthest one, the closest one to me. Right? I'm not, I, I, my dad always taught me our, our family is built for comfort, not for speed. <laughs> <clears throat> and that's true. But, but Bolt, man, he, he ran through that, that and he really could have done quicker. If you notice at the end, he kind of began to celebrate a little early when he knew he'd blown everybody away. Here's a question I want to ask you about Usain Bolt's record. What part of Bolt's body was most important... To him in setting that record. What do you think? Yeah, I'm hearing all kind of different responses. Somebody said the mind. The mind because he had to maintain his concentration. I heard somebody say his legs, right? I mean, that's a pretty important part of the body if you're going to go run a race. Somebody I heard say his feet. Others said his heart. Maybe I didn't hear anybody say it. What about his ears, right? If you don't hear the starter pistol... You're just standing there when everybody else takes off, right? Well, what's, what's the most important part? There's actually a lady. Her name is Kim Nunley. She has a master's degree in kinesiology from Cal State Fullerton, and she wrote an article really addressing this question. What's the most important body part? Here's, here was her question. What muscle is most important for sprinters? And what's funny is when you read her article, even she, with all of her medical and scientific understanding, she could not identify one single part of the body that was most important. So she gave five different muscles that were all important to sprinting. And what blew my mind is number one of the five I would have never guessed in a million years. You know what the most important muscle is for sprinters? The gluteus maximus. For those of you without degrees in in kinesiology, that's the muscle you're sitting on right now. Our rear end. Who knew? Who knew? Maybe I'm more qualified for sprinting than I thought, right? But here's what she concluded the article by saying. Sprinting requires coordinated efforts from all the major muscles in your lower body. Here's what that means. If all those parts we've mentioned aren't functioning together, there's no way Bolt breaks that record. There's no way he runs down that track. If any one of the parts of his body that are necessary were not functioning, he would have been in real trouble. If you're visiting with us today, we have been studying for the last several weeks through a letter in the New Testament. We call it in our Bible, the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't, I'm going to put these verses on the screen for us here in just a few moments. But in Ephesians, Paul is writing this letter. And what we've been understanding is Paul is, is teaching us the principle that the church is this eternal plan of God, that God is on a mission redeeming a people to himself out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation from different cultures and countries, different colors and different backgrounds, different socioeconomic status, different educational backgrounds. And yet all of us together are what we've been calling spiritual misfits, right? Apart from Jesus, when you look around our fellowship, there's a lot that could divide us. But what has united us is that we We all are now brothers and sisters in Christ through a shared relationship with God made possible. Through the person of Jesus. And what Paul has been sharing with us is that the mystery is that God now desires, get this, to use us, this band of spiritual misfits, to literally change the world. God's agent to bring his mission onto this earth is the local church. And we've talked for the last couple of weekends. Because of that, we need to fight for unity. We need to do everything we can to unite together as brothers and sisters. But unity does not mean uniformity. We celebrate the diversity that we have in the body of Christ. We're not all the same. And one of the ways we're different is that as we've come to know Jesus, each one of us now, just like we use the illustration of Usain Bolt, every one of us has a unique part to play in the whole as the body of Christ. And if we're going to be healthy, we all need to function together. I gave you a few illustrations last weekend about... The, the, the church. We, we Some of the ones that the Bible uses, for example, at times we're called the bride of Christ as the church. When the Bible calls us the bride, it's speaking specifically about our intimate relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with God we have through Jesus. When the Bible calls us a family, it's emphasizing not only our relationship with God, but now we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's emphasizing our relationship with each other. But another analogy, the one that Paul is using here, is that of a body that as the church we are the body of Christ And I talked to you last weekend about how when we're called the body, it's speaking to our relationship to people outside the church. Meaning this, how does the world know Jesus is real? Here's how the world knows Jesus is real. They see his body. Who's his body? You and me. When he ascended back to heaven, he sent his spirit to live inside of us. And as we function together using the parts that God's given us, we are literally the body of Christ And the world gets to see Jesus in us. But as the body, we're made up of many different parts. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. So open your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse number 7. Paul says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now notice already, remember as we've been studying through Ephesians, Paul's been using the all and y'all language, right? We talked about that. He's been talking to you, plural, all y'all. But now he's narrowing the focus. And he's talking to us as individuals. He'd been talking about unity, but now he's talking about our diversity within the unity that exists as body of Christ. To each one of us, he says, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all... What what, what verses 8 through 10 are really speaking about, there are a a lot of people talk about these verses. It's really talking about Christ and his coming, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension. And what Paul is talking about, the unity that we have, the gifting that we're about to talk about that we have, all of that has been made possible through the coming of Christ, his securing our salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and now his ascension back to the Father. Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the Son of God or to to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Every weekend when we stand up here to teach God's Word, and I say we because we have a team of us that do this. I, I, I preach and teach here about 30, 32 Sundays a year, and then we have other pastors on our team that teach. But here's what you need to know. Every time somebody stands up here at Hope to teach and preach from God's Word, our entire team has been in a process of studying and looking at this text of Scripture. So whether you're hearing from me or Pastor Travis, Pastor Tom, Pastor Scott, all of us together and then some others on our team have collectively owned the study and the preparation and typically for a sermon that we're going to preach here, we'll have spent at minimum two weeks together at different times during the week exhaustively unpacking that text of Scripture. You say, why are you telling us that? Here's why. The passage of Scripture that I've just read for you, we haven't just spent a couple of weeks in it. We've spent a few months in these verses together. I believe personally the verses that I just read for us are some of the most important verses in the entire New Testament that speak to health inside of a local church, inside of a New Testament church. If we're going to be a healthy body of Christ. Now what's sad is that the American church by and large doesn't concern itself with health and I'm talking in generalities but the American church has become consumed with a passion for growth. And so the American church is all focused on growing the church. How do we get more numbers? How do we have more people attend our services? It's all about growth. But the impetus of the New Testament is growth is not our business. The scripture just said in the book of Acts it was the Lord adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Growth's not our business. What's our business? Our business is health. Our business is understanding that as a church we are functioning healthy as a body of Christ. And here's the thing. When we're healthy, healthy things grow. So, growth is what he does. So, this passage of Scripture speaks strongly to health as a church. Now, having said that, let me give a little disclaimer here at the beginning. If you're a guest today, if you're new today, what I'm going to be sharing at Hope, we like to just teach straight through the Scriptures. We believe in the whole counsel of God. So, today's message that I'm preaching is largely pointed at the people who are already Christians and already a part of this fellowship. So, we're thrilled you're here. I've got something I want to say to you towards the end, but I want you to, to know up front, this is going to be a message that we're speaking largely to the people who are Hope Church already. Now, what I want to do, because of the complexity of these verses, I want to give you a big summary idea of the whole passage, and then I'm going to unpack it for you. If you're ready, say Amen. Here's the big idea. God gave spiritual gifts to people in the church to carry out the spiritual functions of the church under the spiritual leadership of people given to the church so that his mission may be accomplished through the church. We, we, we could teach an entire semester of seminary at a, at, a, at a theological institution just unpacking this. I heard my brother over here, he's a, a pastor. He said, wow, I know because you, you, you know the weight of what's in here, right? There's a lot. And, and I hope you I, I hope you can appreciate the hours we have spent simplifying this statement. I know you look at it and go, man, it's like a paragraph. It is, but you should have seen it before we simplified it. So you're getting the edited simplified version. Let's read it together One time then I want to break it down you ready one two three God gave spiritual gifts to people in the church to carry out the spiritual functions of the church under the spiritual leadership of people given to the church so that his mission may be accomplished through the church if you got it say amen Amen. all right let's just go home then (laughs) now I'm gonna unpack it for you okay Here we go. I'm going to do it a phrase at a time. Here's the first phrase. God gave spiritual gifts to people in the church. This is not unique to the language here in the book of Ephesians. There are other places in Scripture where the Bible tells us this same thing, and not just Paul. Other writers of the New Testament teach us this principle. Let me give you a couple of examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul teaches it. Here's what he says. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes it this way. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So this is not unique language to the book of Ephesians. But here in Ephesians, he gives it to us in a holistic way that I think is very important. So let me read it to you in Ephesians 4 again. Here's what he said in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's Gift. The Bible teaches us that God has given spiritual gifts to people in the church. So let me ask a couple of questions about it. Number one, what is a spiritual gift? What does that mean? Well, look at the words that he uses here, he uses the word grace. To talk about this gift. The word grace is a word that means an undeserved benefit. A gracious divine enablement. Meaning this gift is not something we deserve. It's not something that we're worthy of. It's something that's been bestowed on us by grace. It's an undeserved gracious enablement given by God. Second word is the word given. He said for each one of us grace was given. Given, It speaks of something that's already been done. We're not waiting on it to happen out there in the future. It's completed action. And it's a gift of one's own accord. Meaning this, all we can do to get this gift is simply receive it. That's it. Nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. And that's the third word. He uses the word gift. It's a word that means free gift with an emphasis on its unearned character. Meaning this, we did not earn it. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. Nothing we can perform in order to get it. We simply receive this gift by faith through God's amazing grace. So let me give you a definition of a spiritual gift. I'm going to put it up here for sake of time. Here's what it is. Spiritual gifts are supernatural enablements graciously given by the Holy Spirit to followers of Jesus to be used in serving the body of Christ so that it, the church, may fulfill its mission of expanding the kingdom locally and globally. That is a spiritual gift. And here's what it means. At the moment of salvation... When you came to know Jesus. man! I'm telling you, if you will grab a hold of what we're going to talk about this morning, you will understand your value and role in the kingdom of God like never before. The moment you came to know Jesus, when you put your faith in Him, when you recognized your sin separated you from God and you turned from your sin and you embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were born again into the family of God. And here's what happened in that moment. The Holy Spirit of God came to live in of you all that God is came to dwell in you and part of what he did when he came to live in you is by his grace listen you didn't deserve it you didn't earn it you didn't merit it you didn't have to do anything to get it by his grace he chose to gift you in a supernatural way to be used inside the church for the expansion of the kingdom of God The New Testament describes these gifts in several places. We're reading one of them here in Ephesians 4. Let me give you a couple of examples. Romans chapter 12, we're not going to read it, but you can read it later on. Romans 12, he gives a list of these gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, he gives another list of these gifts. Gifts are listed like the gift of serving, the gift of teaching, the gift of encouraging, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy, the gift of faith, the gift of discernment. As you put all those passages together, there are over 25 different spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. But here's what I believe. I believe the New Testament doesn't give us an exhaustive list. I think, because if you read the list, none of them are the same. They all vary. I think what he did in the New Testament is he gave us a sampling of what the gifts are so that we'd understand that we've all been gifted. But I don't believe it's an exhaustive list. And don't miss this. Spiritual gifts are not your natural skill or ability. For example... One of my spiritual gifts is the gift of teaching. I hope you know that. (laughs) If you don't, then I might need to rethink what I'm doing, right? One of my spiritual gifts is the gift of teaching. Now, some of you look at me and go, well, of course. Obviously, you've got a a natural ability as a communicator. It's not true. When I was in 11th grade, I failed one semester of my high school English class because I was terrified to give a speech for three and a half minutes in front of 22 students. I got to college majoring in radio, television, and film. I was going into radio. Why? Because I could be in a room by myself. Had to talk, nobody, I didn't have to look at anybody. Part of that radio, television, and film degree, the first class I took was one in communications. One of the first things they made us do was get in front of a room of about 100 college students and want us to give a three and a half minute speech. I didn't sleep the entire semester. I was terrified. If you'd have told me I'd spend my life speaking every week to thousands of people and traveling around the world speaking to tens of thousands of people on an annual basis, I'd said you've absolutely lost your mind. But when the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of me at the moment of salvation by His grace. Listen, I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. I didn't earn it. But supernaturally I was grace gifted by the Holy Spirit. Now, Now, all of us in one sense have a responsibility to teach because all of us have been called to disciple other people so all of us in one sense have the responsibility of teaching but some of us in our fellowship have been grace gifted in a supernatural way to be teachers of the word of god I'll give you another example the the, the gift of giving All of us as Christians are to be faithful to steward what God's given us. And a part of that stewardship is to give. But there are some who've been supernaturally grace gifted with this spiritual enablement of generosity. You say, how do you know who they are? Here's how I know who they are. Every time there's a need in a family, every time they're the first one to step up and say, hey, how can I meet that need? How can I? What is that? Is that just they're just generous people? No, they've been supernaturally grace gifted by the Holy Spirit of God in the arena of giving. Here's the way John MacArthur writes about it. I love this. Look at this quote on the screen. Each believer's spiritual giftedness is unique. Stop right there for a second. Here's what that means. There's not anybody else in this fellowship that's gifted like you. Meaning this, if you choose to sit on the sidelines, we can't run the race. If you check out, if you think you're not important, we can't finish the race. Look what he says. Each believer's spiritual giftedness is unique. I love this. Look what he said. As if each were a spiritual snowflake or fingerprint. It's as if God dips his paintbrush into different colors or categories of gifts on his spiritual palette. And he paints each Christian with a unique blend of colors. Meaning you take all the spiritual gifts in the New Testament. None of us fall into any one category. But what's happened is every one of us by the Holy Spirit has been given a unique blend of these gifts. That makes us a unique part of the body of Christ. That makes every one of us essential to carrying out the mission of God in our city and around the world. So here's the second question. Who has a spiritual gift? Well, it's real simple. He said each one of us. Each one of us. Here's what that means. Nobody's excluded. When you start talking about spiritual gifts, there are a lot of charts and graphs and things people use to talk about spiritual gifts. So I'm gonna add to it. I'm gonna give you an equation this morning. That's a little bit complex, but I think you can follow it, okay? So here's the first half of the equation. Saved. (laughs) Now, if you're here today, and you would say, I am a follower of Jesus, I have given my life to Christ. I'm already a Christian. If that's you, raise your hand. Let me see it for just a second. So a lot of people in the room. All right, you can put them down. Now, second half of the equation is a little bit complex. But you ready? Here it is. Now, I know some of you are not math people. And that equal sign is throwing you off. Here's what this means. If you are saved... You are gifted. You didn't miss that day in class. You didn't break line to run to the bathroom and miss out on your moment. If you know Jesus, the scripture says... You've been grace gifted. Here's what that means. Every member of this fellowship is valuable. You are important to the health of this body. We cannot run the race without you. You see, what happens in church is we tend to look up here at people that are up here and think, oh, those are the important people. No, no, no. These are not the important people. Listen, there's no one single body part that's most important. There's not. Now, if anything, what I learned from that study on kinesiology, if anything, we might be the gluteus maximus. (laughs) We might just be the rear end. But it takes all of us. All of us. Paul Tripp. Look at this quote. I love this. Look what he said. Your life is much bigger than a good job an understanding spouse and non-delinquent kids. It is bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense. Something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you to be a part of it. Listen, and not only, not only does he want you to be a part of it, by his grace, he supernaturally enabled you to play a role nobody can play but you. If you got the first part of this phrase, say amen. amen. God gave spiritual gifts to people in the church. So, let me give you a second part. God gave spiritual gifts to people in the church to carry out the spiritual functions of the church under the spiritual leadership of people given to the church. Now, this is verse 11. We've already talked about verse 7. I've talked to you about it, verses 8 through 10. Verse 11 is a verse of Scripture that, to be just very blunt, is often, I believe, misinterpreted in the church in America. In the church in America, we like to put this verse into one of two camps. Either... Verse 11, Paul is talking about spiritual offices of leadership. That's kind of the tribe that I come from theologically. Or, verse 11 is talking about functions that exist in the church. We've made it an either or. Here's after months of study, research, talking to others, asking questions. Here's what our team believes. These verses describe five functions of the church that are carried out under four offices of spiritual leadership in the church. It's not either or, it's both. These are functions of a healthy fellowship that are carried out as we all leverage our gifts together under spiritual leadership given to the church. So let me try to help you understand that just a little bit. So I don't want to... Just, just hang with me, all right? This is going to get a little bit information heavy, but I want you to hang with me for a second. There are five functions of a healthy church, meaning this. If we as Hope Church are going to be healthy and function, these five functions will all be present. Let me give them to you. Number one, and with each of these, I'm going to give you two key words to help you understand them. The first one is the apostolic function. The apostolic function, I'm using the words seeing and leading what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. The apostolic function helps our church see the big picture of what God is doing locally and globally. And it leads our church to join in God's eternal redemptive mission. That's the apostolic function. And, and, and to be real transparent, this function is the single greatest missing function in the church in America. We are so focused on the church. We are so focused on us that we've made us the end game. But if we have an apostolic function, healthy working in our church, we understand we're not the end game. The end game is the kingdom of God to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. The local church is simply a temporary tool established by Jesus for the expansion of the kingdom. And when we're functioning with an apostolic function, then we realize, hey, we're not the goal. The kingdom's the goal. And we're always looking for the big picture and joining in what God's doing that's apostolic function number two prophetic function here are the two words hearing and revealing this is the function in the church that enables us to listen for God's voice and then reveals his instruction now this is the second greatest weakness in the church in America (laughs) let me tell you why we don't need God anymore We got our services, we got our schedules, we got our programs, we got our pastors, we got our strategies, we got our budgets, we got... Man, we got this thing called church so well-oiled, we can do church for weeks and 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 weeks whether God ever shows up or not. But the prophetic function... Leads us as a church to constantly say, God, we're not going to do it next year because we did it last year. Lord, where are you speaking? God, where are you at work? And then reveals how we're to join in what God's doing. Number three, the evangelistic function. This is looking and telling. This is the function in the church where we're looking for people that don't know Jesus. And we're telling them the good news of Christ. Number four. And really, this four and five is where the church in America has majored. The pastoral function, protecting and caring. It's protecting the body from harm and caring for the needs of one another. And then the fifth function is teaching. It's feeding and training. It's providing spiritual nourishment and development through the Word of God. Unfortunately, the church in America has, by and large, majored on these two functions. So here's what we got. A biblically literate, theologically sound church in America that's dying. They're one of two continents on planet earth where the church, Christianity, is on the decline. Guess where one of them is? North America. You know why? Because we've become so inward focused, we've lost the function of evangelistic passion and apostolic sending and engaging in the mission of God. But when all five of these functions are active in the life of a church, guess what? We're healthy. Well, how do all five of these functions happen in the church? When the pastors plan it right? No. When all the body of Christ understands you have a gift, and when we all leverage our gifts together in service to the body of Christ, guess what happens? All these functions begin to be seen in the life of the church. Now, these functions and these gifts are carried out under the leadership spiritually that God's given to his church. And in this text, he mentions four specific offices. Let me define them for you. Number one, apostles. Who were the apostles? The apostles were the original eyewitnesses to the historic risen Jesus whose authority has been preserved today in the New Testament. That's the apostles. The apostles were those, as it's used in this text, there's other, I'm not talking about the apostolic function. I'm talking about that office of apostle who had seen the risen Christ, they witnessed to the resurrection, and they wrote it down so that we could have that preserved in the church. That's the apostles. Who were the prophets? The prophets were spokesmen or women for God. They were a vehicle of his direct revelation. You see, before the Bible was written down, often in a gathering like this, the way that the early church would hear from God is through a prophet. The prophet would stand. They'd get a prophetic word from God. They would speak, and it was direct revelation from God. But hear me. As an office... Apostles and prophets served a temporary role, laying a foundation for the church until the word of God was complete. You see, where do you know that in Scripture? The same letter. Go back to chapter 2. Look at it right here. Verse 19. Look what it says. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been what? Built on the what? Foundation of the apostles. And prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Apostles and prophets as an office. Now, not as a function. There are still those sent out with an apostolic function. There's still those performing the prophetic function. But as an office, those offices cease to exist when we had the completed word of God. When we stand and when we gather today, we don't need somebody to stand up and say, here's what God said. We know what God said. He said it right here in his book. We've got the word. And so we have the faith once for all. Delivered to the saints. Now, do do people speak prophetically? Yes, they speak from the scriptures prophetically into the lives of other people. That's the function. That's the function. So, then let me show you how this feeds into where we're going, all right? Everybody doing okay? I told you we're going to wade in some water for a minute. What's the other two offices? Evangelists and pastor teachers. Evangelists and pastor teachers did not replace. The office of apostle and prophet. They simply took the baton of spiritual leadership from them for the sake of the kingdom being advanced once the foundation of God's word had been laid. In the early church, there were apostles, there were prophets, there were pastors, teachers, and there were evangelists. But once the word of God was completed... The baton of spiritual leadership had been passed to evangelists and pastor teachers. Who are the evangelists? The evangelists are those called of God and given to the church to lead out in proclaiming the gospel to the lost locally and globally. We would call them missionaries, church planters, city engagement leaders. They're the evangelists sent out of the church. The pastors and teachers are those called of God and given to the church to shepherd the flock by protecting, feeding, and caring. If you got all that, say amen. amen. All right, I'm about to make it real practical for you. I'm going to give you an example. Start with me. I told you earlier I have the spiritual gift of teaching. But I also have the spiritual gifts of leadership, faith, and some others that I've seen in my life. Those, as those have all woven together to make me who I am in Christ, here's what I've learned about me. As I live my gifts out in the body, my gifts lend themselves to the apostolic, prophetic, and teaching functions in the church. That's the way God's wired me spiritually. As I live my gifts out, I lend themselves to the functions of apostolic function. Seeing and leading the church to engage in the big picture. The prophetic function, let's hear from God, let's join in what he's doing. And the teaching function, let's feed, let's equip, let's train. Now, I also happen to be one of those that God has called and placed in spiritual leadership as a pastor teacher to lead others to use their gifts. That's me. Let me me help you see it even more. My, uh, my brother's sitting right over here on the front. I'm going to pick on some people today, all right? But I know everybody I'm about to pick on, so they're going to be all right with it. My brother Frederick Walker sitting right here on the front. Frederick, wave at us. My brother Frederick, man, has got some spiritual gifts. And here's the thing about sp- A lot of people get all obsessed with trying to figure out what their spiritual gift is. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Here's what I'm telling you. Others will see your gifts in you before you see them. Others will see it first. And as you see opportunities and begin to serve, God will refine and define your gifting inside the church. Let me tell you what I've seen in my brother Frederick. I've seen in him a gift of encouragement and a gift of faith. That I've seen. Now, there are other gifts, but those are two that I can say. I, listen, if you never prayed with this brother, you need to pray with this brother. He knows how to hear from God, he knows how to call out on God. You know what that is? That's the prophetic function in our church, and it's the pastoral function in our church. As Frederick uses his gifts and leverages them, we function as a healthy fellowship. Uh, Let me give you another example. Sitting sitting right over here is Victor De La Fuentes. Victor sitting right here with his Golden Knights hat on. (laughs) Even though we lost last night, that was tough. But (laughs) go Knights anyway, right? Go Knights go. So, Victor is a, a man I've known for several years now. Victor has a passion and a gifting for evangelism. Now, again, all of us are supposed to share our faith with people that don't know Jesus. That's all of us. But this guy is always looking for lost people to tell them about Jesus. And not just people here locally. God's given him the spiritual gift of, of, in, of uh, exhortation in speaking to others about them sharing the gospel. I get convicted every time I'm around him about sharing the gospel with other people. Because he's always talking about it. Not only that, there's a spiritual gift in, in his heart that's given him this passion for peoples of the earth. Uh, he's been on several mission trips with our church. So you know what? As Victor leverages his gifts and lives them out, you know what it does? It allows our church to function in the apostolic and evangelistic functions that make us a healthy fellowship. I saw over here just a minute ago, my brother Herm Imager. Where are you at, Herm? There's Herm right there. Herm sitting right here. Herm served a couple of times on our stewardship team. Man, God has gifted this brother in our church. You, if you don't know Herm Imager, you need to know Herm Imager. God uses this man in our fellowship. He's got the gifts of faith, the gifts of administration, the gifts of leadership, the gifts of exhortation and encouragement. This brother has got some spiritual gifting. And you know what? As Herm uses his spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, guess what happens? It happens us function in a pastoral function. It helps us function in in a uh, prophetic function as we hear the voice of God. It's his gifts that leverage that. Right? That's what we're talking about today. That's what we're looking at. I, I see Kim right here. Kim Coonrad, who serves over in our, our children's ministry. She's got her Hope Kids shirt on right now. Kim's, Kim's got the spiritual gifts of teaching. She's got the gifts of encouragement and exhortation. Now, you don't often get to see those gifts because she's over in another building on Sundays and she's using those gifts pouring into boys and girls. But it's her gifts in these areas that help us as a church function in the arena of teaching. And it helps us function in the arena of pastoral function being fleshed out in our church. All of us. Listen, I've given you four or five examples, but here's what I could go around the room. And if every single one of us in this building have been supernaturally grace gifted by the Holy Spirit of God to leverage our gifts for the sake of the functions in our church being carried out. And only when we do that, are we healthy as a fellowship? If that makes sense, say amen. Then let me close with this why is this such a big deal well that's the last part of the sentence god gave spiritual gifts to people in the church varieties of gifts to carry out spiritual functions of the church apostolic prophetic evangelistic pastoral teaching under the spiritual leadership of people given to the church pastors teachers evangelists in the early church apostles prophets so that his mission may be accomplished through the church look at verse 12 for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ can I be honest with you for a long time I read those verses wrong here's what I thought it meant God gave pastors to the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And listen, in one sense, that's partially true. But here's what it really says. God gave us functions. Apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral teaching. Now, pastors are to be shepherds over us, healthy in a healthy way, carrying out those functions. But it's all of us together, when we live full of the Holy Spirit of God and let God... Use the giftings that he's given us. Leveraged for the sake of a whole body. Serving one another. Guess what? We together equip one another. We equip one another for the work. What's the work? Well, he only gave us one. to Make disciples. You see, we've been called as a church locally and globally to make disciples it's our mission what's a disciple abiding in Christ personally and daily connecting in community large groups small groups sharing in the mission locally and globally how do we do that as we all together leverage our spiritual gifts to fulfill these functions we equip one another to carry out the mission that God's given us you know what that means you and you need us if we're going to run the race. All of us have an important part to play. Well, 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 how long does this go on? Well, verse 13, until, until we all attain to the unity of faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You know what this is? This is the ultimate picture. This is heaven. This is what, what it's going to be one day, right? This is where we're headed. But it's not just the ultimate picture. Let me tell you what else it is. It's the daily pursuit. It's the ultimate picture, but it's our target today. And we'll never get there without all of us leveraging our gifts in the service. Let's pray together today Father thank you for your word thank you for teaching us from your word today Lord thank you that you've so created your body that it takes us all it's not just about a few people on a stage Lord it's the body of Christ together fulfilling the functions that allows us to accomplish the mission Lord, I pray in this moment you'd speak. If you're a Christian here today, you already know Jesus. I want you to just be praying and thinking about what you've heard today. If you're here today, maybe you're a guest and maybe you're thinking, man, what? Uh, You you don't know Christ. You're not a Christian. And you think somebody invited you here or whatever. You just drove by and saw a church and walked in. You're thinking, man, this is, I don't really understand all this. That's okay. Listen, that's okay. You don't have to yet. Let me tell you why what we're talking about is important. God's created us as the church and gifted us the way He did. Let me tell you why. Because He loves you and wants to make Himself known to you. You see, the story of the Bible is that God made you to know Him, to love Him, and to be known and loved by Him. But the truth is, we've all sinned against God. And because of our sin, we're separated from a relationship with God. The very reason we were made... But God loved us so much, He didn't leave us there. There was nothing we could do to earn our own salvation. So He sent His Son Jesus into the world. And Jesus took all of your sin and all of my sin. And on the cross, He died. He paid the penalty for our sin. But He didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. As a testimony, God had accepted His sacrifice for our sin. And now the promise of the Bible is... If you will turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, guess what? You get a relationship with God. You get to be born again into a fellowship relationship with Him. You get to know God, to be loved and known by God and to know and love God. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of worship to finish today. And if you don't know Jesus, while we're singing that song of worship, we have some pastors here at the front. If you'd like to today, you can come to one of our pastors and all you need to say is this. I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God. All you got to do in just a moment is just come. Just come. If you're a Christian and you have something in your job, your health, your family, a relationship, your marriage, and you just want to pray with one of our pastors during this song of worship, you can come. We'd be honored to pray for you and with you. Maybe you're hearing God's burdens you about something in somebody else's life or your life. And you just want to come. We're going to open these steps up like an altar. You can just come and just be alone with God and just talk to God. And maybe you want to just come your burden. Just pray for our church to be a healthy, functioning, five-fold fellowship. As God moves you today, you respond. Let's worship together. Father, bless this time for your name's sake. We give it to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.